The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Get ready to pump your energy and jumpstart your dreams with positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio on the world's most popular power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are. The Oprah of the airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and her sidekick daughter, Heather Brittany, deliver lessons of success spanning the generations of the globe in their information-packed Tea for Two, a mother-daughter brew. In other segments, Cynthia interviews real-life trailblazers, authors, and experts with the courage and vision who show you how to build a road to fulfillment through their unique books and services. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll be informed and entertained. For your free lifestyle empowerment coaching session right here on the airwaves, turn up the volume, relax, sit back, and get ready to be inspired. Because Star Style, Be the Star You Are, starts right now. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. I hope you are wearing green out there or we're going to be pinching you. Welcome to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, the power hour with your personal growth coaches. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And we hope that you are having uh, your corned beef and cabbage or your cabbage and onions and drinking green beer and getting ready to pump your energy. Today is the day. The Miracle Moment is brought to you by Star Style Designs. It is spring, and if you are seeking a garden consultant to spruce up your outdoor space, call 925-377-7827 or visit star-style.com. That's star-style.com. This is from Charles Buxton. You will never find time for anything, so if you want time, you just have to make it. In today's show, we are going to be talking about ballads for the bad boys with the new wave of the narco corrido music, and then we'll have best-selling author Meg Wake Clayton, who is returning with her newest novel, The Four Ms. Bradwells, and Helen Wang takes us on a tour de force of middle-class China with her book, The Chinese Dream, so turn up the volume, relax, be involved in our power hour. And we drink green tea, I guess. We have to be wearing green, right, Heather? Most definitely. (laughs) It doesn't matter, you know, what nationality you are. It's always fun to celebrate. At least we celebrate everything. So St. Patrick's Day, I don't have an ounce of Irish in me, but I still celebrate it. Well, as you know, Heather Brittany has been producing our Tea for Two segment since inception in 1998. And she's the person who normally decides what topics we're going to cover and does the research and make sure that they're relevant to our lives and very topical. For this episode, I suggested doing a ballad for the bad boys. And I must admit, after we have had our discussions over it, it is probably a very bad decision because our show is about being positive, life-affirming, upbeat, and these songs are exactly the opposite. But all the same, I thought it was important to know what this new dangerous trend is 
so as parents and as people who, you know, love our friends, we'll be able to recognize when someone is getting involved in it. And then so we're just going to touch on the subject lightly, and then we're going to jump into a little bit more fun and talk about the history of St. Patrick's Day. So how I came about wanting to do this uh, show, Heather, Ballad for the Bad Boys, is I was reading a Time Magazine article uh, not too long ago that was about this new Mexican craze for songs that glorify the violent lives and the deaths of drug lords. Now, the type of music is called narco corridos, and it's become the Latin gangster rap, but it has dire consequences not only for people who listen to it, but for the singers and musicians who perform the cartels. Heather was mm-hmm. doing some research, and I think you said you discovered that uh, just in the last couple of years, over a dozen musicians have paid the price with their life. Yeah, so, I mean... Songs, uh, because they've been killed by rival drug lords. It's kind of very interesting. A comparison um, to here in America, because it's definitely this music is definitely popular across both borders, but especially in borders areas, and especially here in California, the Los Angeles, San Diego, um, and on into uh, Mexico, because we are so close in there. And the thing is, is it runs kind of parallel with that is that similar to in America how we have rap and gangster rap and how many people in um, these bands or solo rap artists have um, either been the targets of violence, of gang violence, or have actually as well paid with their life um, due to different, you know, East Coast, West Coast rivalries. And uh, it's interesting when I was looking at it that, uh, and, I, and I apologize for terrible pronunciation of everything, but the, how do you put it, the narco? It's called narco corrido. So the corrido is like, you know, narcotics, and corrido is like the way. Well, the corrido is actually, they changed it back used to be, starting in the 1930s, um, uh, being kind of like the Mexican folk music, of telling a message of what was going on in their societies. And now this new wave more is more focusing, um, you know, on the, the drugs and extortion and smuggling and all this kind of illegal activity. And, and actually various companies and government agencies um, have tried to ban this kind of music. And um, the former Mexican president, uh, the president Fox, um, he, he's spoken openly about um, you know, trying to disband this music from being played um, because it's just putting out such a negative message and portraying, you know, sort of a, a new generation in such a negative light. Um, but, yeah, when I was looking into it, just the music of it was just uh, very, very violent and aggressive. Well, the words are really violent. I mean, and obviously they're spoken in Spanish, but I was looking at uh, one of the words here, and I've got the Spanish translation and then it and then the English translation and I'm just going to just read you know like two sentences and it's this with an AK-47 trashed with drugs blowing heads off those who cross us we're bloodthirsty crazy very high we like to kill to kidnap we are the best always traveling by caravan Mm-hmm. These are pretty destructive lyrics, and there there are even television shows now that are. Um, there's a new TV show. Well, not that new. I think it's actually under NBC Universal that's doing it. That um, that is showcasing Los Twins, which is on the Hispanic TV channel, which are two guys that formed a company, and they. They put together, they have like 20 bands and singers, and they're stable now. 
Wow. And that is scary because now people are, you know, they are copying it and the the look, you know, the, the clothes that they wear. There are clubs, especially in L.A. and in San Diego, that they're they're very flashy. You know, they're they're wearing their sunglasses and their their uh, silk. Well, and stuff. You know, so a, a counterpoint of this is, and maybe this just seems because it, it appears that this kind of stuff, this music, this genre, this following has been big for a while and definitely an issue. And maybe it's only. Um, I mean, for a while, especially on the Mexican border, it's scary. In various areas, it's Mexico still has wonderful, very safe places to go. But there's other places, Mexico City, um, you, know, you don't want to be going into. Um, but similar to think of that here in America, it's just more publicized of the, the issues, the gang violence that goes on, the, the music that people view as their anthems, and whether it's just to sell um, music, you know, it's just they're trying to portray an image. Um, or these, a lot of people, you know, they're coming, they used to be in gangs and, you know, they rap about all this and people look up to this. Um, so I kind of feel this, that it, this is an unfortunate thing, but I, I hence wonder if it's just because here in America we're just starting to see that across the borders it's been going on. Um, I feel here in America the different genres we have of music and the way it's influenced a lot of youth is, youth is very similar and very disheartening in the same way. It is disheartening, and as you said, it has become an anthem, and that's, you know, that is the scary part, and it is the young people, and what's happening is that many of the big drug cartels will hire a specific artist to actually write a song about them, and then some, you know, they'll, they'll pick them up at an airport and fly into some remote location to have them perform for all their drug lords, but the downside of it is then rival drug lords seek out that musician and his band and decide to kill him just to make yeah. them, to show the other drug lords that that's not okay. And from the musician's point of view, you know, they're saying, hey, I'm nobody's messenger. I don't belong to, to anybody. I'm just singing. I'm a singer. This mm -hmm. is what I do. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, are, are these drug troubadours the right way to go? I mean, it's really music and murder. So we should really be on the lookout for it. And if you have, um, it, it, it tends to be both uh, Im illegal immigrants in this mem in, the, in America. The audience is the illegal immigrant, and then the second generation Me Mexican American who wants to rediscover their roots, and they're actually feeling frustrated with the downturn in the economy and the you know what has happened here in America. It hasn't really been the land of dreams that they thought it would be. So they're turning to this kind of music and this kind of following. So we really have to be careful of it. But let's just for a second, a couple of minutes here, change the subject. And we won't talk about the, the cartels. But I did think it was interesting, those ballads with the bad boys. Let's talk about one of the good boys. <laughs> and that will be, we'll talk about uh, St. Patrick, who St. Patrick is the patron saint of... Uh, Ireland, and... Which, funny enough, he was actually from Wales. <laughs> that, and that was interesting. He was kidnapped, is how he it actually He was kidnapped started. by an Irish slave. <laughs> he was a slave, exactly. And that's how he came to be in Ireland. He was actually brought to Ireland as a slave. And what um, what century was, was that, Heather? I think that was back in... Is that the third I think the third century. Let me just see okay, what's in my notes. Yeah, it was in 387. He was 387 to 461 
A.D., and he was actually brought to Ireland as a slave, and not too much is really known about his life, but he, he, uh, when he was uh, brought to Ireland, he was on the west coast of Ireland, they think, in the area called Mayo, and according to legend, he was told by God in a dream that he had to flee uh, from captivity and that he was to board a ship and go back to Britain, which he did. And then he joined the church and became a priest. And then he returned to back to Ireland as a bishop in 432. And the uh, Christians, I mean, because they were still pagans there, you know, they were, they were like native uh, polyheathism. And the Irish folklore says that his teaching method was to use the shamrock, which people always say, oh, gosh, if you find a shamrock, you're really lucky. But I, as a gardener, I want to tell you, shamrocks are everywhere. I grow them in my garden. They're called oxalis here in America, oxalis. And usually we consider them a weed. Some of them have pink flowers and some of them have yellow flowers. That was so funny. I was actually... At the grocery store yesterday, and they were selling a little uh, potted plant of shamrocks, of, for, of clovers, and I was going to get it for my friend because I went to her house. I thought it was so sweet. And then I changed my mind because I realized I would be giving her a potted plant of weeds. Well, <laughs> you're exactly right because that's it. They are weeds. They're pretty weeds, though. They're pretty. They have that shamrock, but if you keep them in a pot, you'll be great. But if you don't... If you don't, you'll have them all over your garden, and that's when you see, right now, if you look on the side of freeways uh, here in America, you see a lot of these shamrocks, but again, it's called oxalis. So what has happened um, is that St. Patrick has become the patron saint of Ireland. There's all the stories about him chasing out the snakes, and then that, therefore there are no snakes in Ireland. Nobody seems to know if that is true, but he has endured as that principal champion of Christianity, but I think what's more interesting to me than the religious significance is the fact that it doesn't matter what your religion is. People all over the world love to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, and San Diego actually they call they say that their St. Patrick's Day parade is the largest parade west of the Mississippi. Have you ever been to their St. Patrick's Day parade? I actually worked down when I was uh, interning at a radio station. I actually helped out one of the events down there for St. Patrick's Day. It gets crazy in the Gaslamp Quarter, similar to uh, Mardi Gras. And, of course, I'm here in San Francisco, and it's been part of the St. Patrick's Day celebration since 1852. There's a huge Irish-American population here, and all of the bars you go in and you have Irish coffee, and they are making the green beer, and everybody's making corned beef and cabbage, and if you're not wearing green, you are getting affectionately pinched. So it's quite, uh, it's quite a big day, and I just every year I just like to celebrate it because we like to celebrate everything. So for all of you out there, we wish you a happy St. Patrick's Day. We hope you don't have any snakes in your garden, and instead you have a pot of oxalis that you call shamrock and that it's bringing you lots of luck. And stay away from those ballads for the bad boys. Heather, give out the website. Most definitely. We want to send you a little like, so go to be the star you are dot com, be the star you are dot org, and carmenclutches dot com, both with a K. 
And when we come back from break, we're going to have a very lively conversation with best-selling author Meg Waite Clayton. She was, uh, or is the author of The Wednesday Sisters. She's going to be returning to our program today with her newest novel, The Four Ms. Bradwells. Don't go away. I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. This is style. Be the star you are. We will be right back on this very green St. Patrick's Day. Stay with us. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Get a positive prescription for living and discover a cure for adversity when you make a difference in the lives of others by donating to Be The Star You Are, a 501c3 top-rated charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth through increased literacy, positive media, and tools for living. www.bethestarur.org All donations are tax-deductible. www.bethestarur.org Be the lucky star You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. It's the Power Hour on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Now, back to the show with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Well, you are listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I am Cynthia Bryan, your personal growth coach, and we are glad that you are with us on this beautiful St. Patrick's Day across the world, and we hope that you are wearing green and celebrating no matter what you like to celebrate because it is, it is just fun to celebrate everything, everything. I also just want to remind you, if you are interested in books, make sure to visit stardashstyle.com for Be the Star You Are, Be the Star You Are for Teens, which is the new book. The Business of Show Business, Miracle Moments, The Blessings of Love and Relationship, and, we, and of course, Chicken Soup for the Gardener's Soul. Well, one of the favorite books that we showcased on this program in 2009 was Meg Wake Clayton's book, The Wednesday Sisters. Meg is back with us today with her newest novel about four powerhouse females who bonded in law school and the secret that they shared over a lifetime. The book, The Four, Ms. Bradwells, and Meg is with us. Welcome back, Meg, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thank you so much for having me again. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, we're excited to have you back on. You are terrific, and we're really excited because we're kind of launching your book before it's even launched here. Indeed, it comes <laughs> out next week. novel. The yes. Four, Ms. Bradwells actually begins at your alma mater, the University of Michigan Law School, and you have called the book kind of an ode to the relationships that you formed and to the law school itself because 
it helped you discover who you were, what your strengths were, and, you know, where you really wanted to go. Tell us a little bit about that background before we actually get into the novel itself. Oh, I'd be happy to. I started at the University of Michigan Law School in the summer of 1981. I, it is some small miracle that I ended up at such a good law school as I um, lacked discipline when I, when I started. But I was very supported in law school, both by my professors, by my male, my male classmates, but, and, but especially by my female classmates. And the result of all that was that I emerged from the law school really a much more confident and sure young woman than I had been when I arrived. And it really was a transformative few years for me. And well, and this I'm is ever what grateful. you have been known for, both with the Wednesday Sisters and, of course, now this new book, The Forum is Bradwell's, is your ability to write very compelling interweaving stories about friendships, especially friendships with women. And in the four Ms. Bradwells, we see four women who went to school together the first day of school. There's this discussion about the Bradwell versus Illinois Supreme Court case from 1873 that denied Myra Bradwell the ability to practice law. And then what happens with them, it's really a male-dominated world, I mean, even today, but what they had to come against, I love this phrase where, you know, they kept having to constantly say, Ms. No, I'm not Mrs. I'm not Miss. I'm Ms. That's right. That's right. I think, it, you know, it's interesting when you look back at that because I think that now uh, in, in the 21st century, everybody is very comfortable with Ms. even if the New York Times still um, allows women the, the choice of choosing to be called Mrs., they also have the choice to be called Ms., and no one appears to be called Miss anymore. Uh, but at the time that I was in law school, and actually well into the 1980s, the New York Times did not even allow women the choice of being Ms. They could be Mrs. or Miss, but they were always, uh, you know, the presumption there is that a woman needs to be identified by her marital status, something we would never even consider for a man. Well, you know, I'd never even heard of, of course, I'm not in law school, but the, I had never heard of Bradwell versus Illinois, where the, the, the Myra Bradwell was not allowed to practice because she was a woman, and a woman's place was to be in the home and to bear children. And this was a Supreme Court ruling. What has happened with that ruling today? I mean, has that been stricken from the books? What's it, it has clearly been overruled, it, uh, if not directly by the court, then certainly by the laws that have uh, kind of taken place over particularly the last 40 years, really starting with the 1964 Civil Rights Act, where, uh, frankly, the, the term gender, or I think it's actually sex, was added by, in an attempt by a few senators to um, get the law not to pass. Uh, it ended up passing with sex in there, and that's what kind of first established a barrier against discriminating against women. There's been a lot of litigation over the years about what exactly that means, including, you know, even very recently the Lily Ledbetter case, where the where the court did uh, did find that uh, Goodyear Tire was discriminating against Lily Ledbetter, but. Uh, but though they'd been discriminating in her pay for 30 years, the court uh, limited her damages to the difference in pay for only a six-month period. That, so that just blows me away that that would happen. If it was a man, it wouldn't have been that way. It would have been a totally different thing. 
We're talking think... to Meg Wait Clayton. She is the author of the new novel, The Four Ms. Bradwells. Well, Meg, you know, in you, you were a lawyer, and you were actually passed over for a partner in your own law firm, even though you were a better lawyer. But that was basically because you were a woman. We've well, come a long think... way, but we're still not far enough, right? I... I think that that it's uh, you know it's all very complicated. Uh, I came up for partner basically the first year that the ladder went up in my law firm. So that in all the prior years, everybody who came up for partner was made partner. My year, they uh, it was 1992, and the economy was very bad as it is now. Uh, and the firm all of a sudden decided that they were not going to make a substantial part of the class partner. And I will say that if you look at the numbers, more of the women did not make partner than than the men. The men. And I have the sense that that's happening now in this in this environment when when the economy is bad and people get cut. It's it's almost a presumption. I don't think it's done on a conscious level, but you know, like my supervisor told me, well. I had my husband's income, and so it wouldn't kill me to not make partner, whereas the other, the man who he was talking about, uh, didn't. He had a wife and kids to depend on him. And so he was trying to be compassionate, but I think that people don't understand that the end result of that compassion ends up uh, shortchanging women. Exactly, exactly. So we, have, we do have some work to do. Well, let's talk about the relationship between the women in your book. Uh, first of all, were they based? on people you knew or they're probably a compendium of several people that you knew you know it the the book is very much at its heart a book about friendship and uh, Mia Laney Betts and Ginger the four characters are first and foremost the best of friends and very supportive of each other it's a complicated friendship but but uh, but they are very close friends and none of them draws none of them draws directly from any of my friends in law school. I would be very hesitant to draw directly from my friends' lives. I think that that honestly could could put friendships at risk. But the the heart of that friendship, the the love that they feel for each other and the and the sharing that they do very very heavily draws from my own friends that I am I'm blessed to have. And the solidarity. I think that's what I mean by that. I mean not, obviously not the personalities and because that you know that would almost be an encroachment on their privacy if you did that. But the fact that they were t- they were always a team no matter what their differences were and they stood up for each other. One of the episodes that happens in the book, and of course, since it's a novel, I don't want to give away anything, but there was a, a scene that you wrote in there that I thought was so interesting about, there was a news clipping about the African women uprising where they all were to protest, you know, a certain thing. They all stripped to their nakedness because that was the, that, you know, if anybody was to look on them, that was like taboo. It, was that something that actually happened? It was, as a matter wow, of fact. Wow, that was really impressive. That was such a strong point. Well, you know, one of the things I find when I am writing is that very, very often the things that really happen in life are m- much more extraordinary than anything that you might imagine. And so when I was, that the character is Mia. She's, she's a journalist, and she becomes a journalist after she sees this this demonstration in Africa when she's just there visiting her brother. But I just was 
poking around looking for interesting stuff, as I often do uh, when I'm working on a, a novel, and I came across that particular demonstration. And it's just extraordinary what what those women did, really for the sake of their children, because the you know the pollution that was being caused that they were protesting was was just killing their children. Exactly. Exactly. But I just thought that was such a that to me that was a real pivotal point. I mean, and it, it was just a small piece in your novel that carries on because this is part of the whole strength I think that these four women come to in the ending. Let's talk about secrets, which is a real central theme here. Here are these four women who two of them are up for major offices in, in government and they've led these great lives, etc. But when they were just out of law school, there was one episode that happened that nobody's ever talked about. And in reality, this, when we keep a secret, it really comes to haunt us. So what I took away from this is the importance especially in the case if there's a rape or whatever, is that it's not our fault and we need to talk about it. Was this the message that you wanted to get across? Yes, absolutely. I think a lot of times the reasons we keep secrets uh, are as a result of shame, and, and we often... I think especially as women, but I suppose it's true of men as well, we, I'm sure it's true of men as well, we feel ashamed for things that are not at all our responsibility. I mean, it's all sorts of things from children being ashamed because their parents are divorced to um, men being ashamed because bad things have happened to them. And there, there, there is, I think, a real relief in setting those things out in the open and embracing the idea that it is not your fault and that you should not be ashamed and that it does does not change who you are or reflect on who you are. It reflects on the person who perpetuated the the bad thing or who, who did the bad act. And also what I really feel, too, especially, well, for both men and women, because these kinds of sexual harassment and sexual abuse happens for both sexes. But the fact that when we do have the strength to come forward and say this happened to me is that it opens it up for other people to be able to be open to and to eliminate that guilt that they're feeling, and therefore you can move forward with it, whereas it only festers when you hold it inside. I think that's absolutely true, and yet it's very understandable why people remain silent about things. There are all sorts of reasons why people remain silent about things. I um, I know this this year happens to be the 20th anniversary of the uh, Clarence Thomas hearings for the Supreme oh Court. Oh my when, gosh! Weren't we glued to the that, weren't we, we glued, glued to the TV <laughs> with Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas? Exactly, exactly, and uh, and you know Anita Hill, I think, is a woman who uh, put her own reputation on the line to stand up and say that this uh, gentleman or this man, in any event, should not be a Supreme Court justice. He doesn't have the moral character that we expect of Supreme Court judge, uh, justices. And you know, frankly, the the Senate committee that she spoke in front of was all male, mm-hmm. uh, all white male. And I think that it was probably hard for any of them to realize what she was going through or how much she was putting her own career on the line to, to do that, to, to no gain for herself. Um, and so it still remains very complicated. And I wonder, I wonder Meg, if, if that were to come about today, that trial, 
what the outcome would have it been different because I know uh, just as a human being not even as a woman I was so furious with the judgment on that it just it was seemed to be so unfair to her uh, you know I was so furious and uh, I will tell you that uh, you know I was uh, practicing law at the time and my friends and I would just talked about it endlessly just as you were suggesting uh, we were we were we watched on on the one hand, thinking, oh, that woman is destroying her career by going public with this. I mean, this was in the days before there were laws against sexual harassment. Right, right. And she was a pioneer. She was it, so brave. Exactly. And, we're, you know, I will tell you that uh, in my experience, uh, most of the women I knew identified who might be male troublemakers in their environment and... Uh, and avoided them in places where trouble might be made because it was always seen as the woman's fault if anything bad happened. Exactly. And I still think we have a long way to come. Again, this is Meg Wake Clayton. The book is The Four Ms. Bradwells. It's just such a wonderful weaving about the friendship of these women, about the, about law, about, uh, about being together and things that happen. Another character, the, the males in this book, and the character of Trey, who was absolutely the golden boy. When I was reading about him, how, you know, he was just so successful and he was at the apple of everybody's eye, it was very fascinating to me, Meg, that, and, and an eye opener, I think, is that, you know, we don't, we can't judge a book by its cover, can we? I mean, still water can run dark and deep, and no one really knew what his secrets or his perversions were. I think that uh, very few of us are as good as we sometimes appear to be, nor as bad as we sometimes appear to, to be. And I think Trey, like all of the characters, like I hope anyway, all of the characters in, in the book are, is a, is a complicated person who comes, I mean, we're all shaped by our own experiences. Uh, that's true of Faith, that's true of Trey, that's true of um, Ginger and Mia and Betts and, and everybody in that book. Every, I will say that I think all the characters in the book do things that uh, we all would regret having done. And they all do things that are really worthy things that we all would like to have done as well. And so I do try to make my characters not entirely good or bad, but somehow... Well, they're all humans. I think what you've done is every, every character that you write is humans, and it shows me that we are all humans in training. And so we're, we, we all have the dark side and the light side, but I must say the character of Faith, uh, you know, for a woman of her time, I was really in love with that character. Oh, thank you. I thank just you. thought she was just superb. I, she, even though uh, Ginger may not have thought she was the mother she needed to be, I think she was the mother that, you know, womanhood needed her to be. So let's give out your website, Meg. This is a great book, and I know you're already working on your next, but this is going to be a great book tour for you. So website is MegWaitClayton.com. Is that what you want people to go to? That's right, and if they can't remember that, they can go to the com or the WednesdaySisters.com. Any of those, WednesdaySisters.com, the four Ms., and it's Ms. Bradwell, or right. Meg Waite Clayton, and it's Meg, and the middle is W-A-I-T-E, Clayton.com. Well, as always, Meg, it's great to have you on the show, and I'm going to look forward to your next novel that I think it's going to be following the Wednesday Sisters, you're doing something with the daughters, right? 
That's right. That's right. Uh, enough people have asked for a single sequel to the Wednesday Sisters that I started thinking about how I could do that in a way that would remain interesting to me, and I lit upon the idea of following three of the daughters of the Wednesday Sisters, which allows me to bring back some of the sisters as well. And uh, it's really a, a joy to write. I'm quite enjoying returning to some of those characters. You're right back. You're right back in that good girlfriend stage. Well, I love it that you're writing about all these issues and and keeping friendship alive and showing, showing us the importance of not just female friendships, but just the bonds that we create for a lifetime and what goes on in really true in-depth relationships. Meg Wake Clayton, go to MegWakeClayton.com or WednesdaySisters.com or the forum is BradWells.com. Meg, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thank you so much for having me, Cynthia, and I hope we'll do it again with the next book. We will, and you just have fun on your book tour and, and just, you know, wow them as I know you will. Great. Thank you so much. When we come back from break, we are going to be taking another journey, and we are going to be meeting the, another female powerhouse, Helen Wang, who was born and raised in China, came to America to pursue her graduate studies discovered the American dream, and has now penned a scholarly book about the rise of China's middle class with the Chinese dream. We'll be right back. Don't go away. I am Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We have much more to come. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Looking for unique, one-of-a-kind gifts for the special woman in your life? The Carmony Collection creates handmade handbags, clutches, candles, and canvases from vintage and recycled fabrics, bangles, and beads. Be eco-friendly and fashionable with prices for all pocketbooks. Visit www.carmonycollection.com. That's Carmony with a K and Collection with a K. Or call 925-785-7827. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations. With personalized sessions by phone or in person, you'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7827. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com. CynthiaBryan.com. You can be the star you are. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Be the star you are. You are the Turn up the volume, grab a seat, and get ready to be challenged, inspired, and motivated to greatness. It's power party time on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with your hosts, the mother-daughter dynamic duo, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Well, thank you for staying with us. You are listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and I am with you now, and I am Cynthia Bryan. Every week, Be the Star You Are showcases incredible authors and experts who enhance and inspire your life. 
Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth through improved literacy and positive message programming like this radio show. Well, when Helen Wang was in college in China, she came upon two documents that changed her life, Lincoln's Gettysburg Address and Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Although she may not have comprehended them completely, she knew her destiny called from the United States. And 20 years later, she is here in America, and she has written a book, The Chinese Dream, The Rise of the World's Largest Middle Class and What It Means to You. Welcome, Helen, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thank you, Cynthia, for having me. Well, I, I really, really enjoyed this book because it was an eye-opener about what is happening today in China. We're going to get a little of your background first. You grew up in this beautiful city called Hangzhou, which, from what I understand, has this gorgeous lake named West Lake in a beautiful landscaping, etc. And China, when you were growing up, was very traditional. It was under communist rule. And yeah. you, when you came to America, you were really surprised at all the choices you had. I mean, I had to chuckle when you said that you went to the grocery store and didn't understand why you would have a choice between plastic bags and, and brown paper bags. Tell yeah. us what it was like in China versus what it was like here and the fact that in China, there really wasn't the dream, and this is why you named your book The Chinese Dream, because now there is a dream. Yeah. Well, definitely when I came to this country 20 years ago, there was no Chinese dream, and the uh, situation is very different from from uh, what China is today. And I remember, um, you know, when I first arrived in the United States, I went on a trip to Washington, D.C., and at that time, I you know I bought a sandwich, and then somehow there were a lot of birds flying around me. And one of the birds even you know dove toward me, uh, took a big chunk of sandwich, or flew away. I was truly, truly shocked. I thought, oh, this is a really a country of freedom. Even bird can pick on me. Well, you know, I read that in your book that in China the birds are afraid of the humans because. The birds are food. You talked about, uh, yeah. uh, you watched as a little girl, and it wasn't any big deal then. A boy uh, caught a bird and killed him literally in the mud and then roasted him for dinner because there wasn't really meat. So it was a great delicacy to get that bird. Yeah, absolutely. You know, even today, I think all the birds and, you know, animals in general are afraid of the human and because, uh, you know, they're likely to be uh, caught and to cooked uh, as a food. But of course, not as much today. And um, But when I grew up those days, and eating meat is really considered luxury. And uh, so, um, so it's a very, very different uh, place. Uh, uh, you know, in America, and I was completely shocked. There's so many things to adjust, to learn, and uh, you know, to to just uh, uh, live in this new land of opportunity. Well, you <laughs> know, I, I, one of the things that happened to you, of course, you didn't drive when you were in China, and when you came to America, you got your first little car for eight hundred dollars, and then somebody yeah. ran into you. You didn't realize that your insurance would pay for the other car, you know, that ran into you, and you were shocked when you got this call saying, 
hey, we're going to give you $3,600 to go buy a new car. You thought you'd hit the jackpot. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. That's another thing because I was only in this country a few months. I just learned to drive and got the car for $800, you know. But, you know, this day I, I, I don't know how a $800 car can work, but actually it did those days. And, uh, and then, uh, yeah, I, I went into an accident and somebody hit me basically, but, uh, I didn't know I, uh, I can claim for insurance, all these things. Well, I want to get to some of the meat of your book because, first of all, your background to me is just so fascinating, and especially the fact that you really identify as being American. You're Chinese-born, yeah. but you are an American citizen, and you do not like to be asked what was your Chinese name or addressed like that because you are truly Helen now. You have a adopted this new country, and I see you as a person that is really trying to to span the gap of East and West culture, because as you say, the only way we are really going to have peace and change in the world is we start realizing that we're all one. But yeah. in 20, uh, 2010, there were now 300 million middle-class Chinese, which there wasn't a middle-class before. So uh-huh. I, I'm trying, it was interesting how this downfall of communism, but at the same time there's still communism. Yeah. But it's not quite democracy that's going on, but China is now a very materialistic, status-oriented, yeah. money-is-good uh-huh. uh, place. I mean, to get rich is glorious, is what, was, what has the country's been told. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So that's um, it's a so dramatic change. And, uh, you know, to answer your first question, when I first came to this country, because the reason I stayed in this country is because of Tiananmen Square uh, students' demonstration for democracy, if people remember. and That, that was, was Tiananmen like, Square. You came the same year that happened, right? Yeah, I came yeah, that year. That was a horrible thing. Yeah, because that happened, so all the, uh, at that time, President H.W. Uh, Bush uh, issued an executive order to grant green card for all the Chinese students uh, in this country. So You were so why. fortunate. It was like you had a miracle happen for you. That's right. That's, that's how I, you know, uh, stayed in this country but then at that time I was really want to fit in around to you know adapt to into the American mainstream and trying to adopt adopt English name and uh, uh, trying to be uh, American I didn't re- you know realize uh, really uh, you know it's a, basically it's a struggle within myself trying to you know adapt to this country but in the meantime I also you know has my own uh, Chinese identity but uh, after all these 20 years of living in this crossroad of the East and the West, I really realized that basically Earth is one country and mankind is citizen. And whether we're Chinese, American, we're basically one human being, uh, like, uh, you know, waves of the one ocean and leaves of one tree. So that's how I, you know, see myself as a bridge between the East and the West. And uh, because I, at this point, I see so many, um, you know, uh, contention, misconception, or misunderstanding, mistrust between China and the West. And uh, these, uh, you know, misconception or, you know, the fears, a lot of fears 
are unrealistic, but uh, those fear can be a source of global instability. So I think me, I'm a Chinese native and American citizen, I can be, I can bridge the uh, differences between these two countries. Well, and I think this is what your book, The Chinese Dream, we're talking to author Helen Wang, and her book is The Chinese Dream, and I believe this is what it does. You start off your book with the the saying of Confucius that's always been one of my favorites, uh, when there is harmony in the home, there's order in the nation, and when there's order in the nation, there'll be peace in the world. Uh-huh. One of the things that America has always feared, or we think we fear, is we think, or the world thinks, that China is this new superpower yeah. that's going to take over because it has so many millions of people. And uh-huh. you, d- you, you, you trash that notion, that myth, uh-huh. In your book, The Chinese Dream, because its its economy is different. It's not a super. It isn't a superpower. Well, you talk about that on and why it is not the superpower, but it's more of, of an economic rise that's happening there. Yeah, um, because um, there are several reasons, and I think China will be a major economic power. However, when you well, talk it about it, is. Right? It's yeah, not like yeah, the yeah, economy is. in the world. Yeah, it's the second largest economy in the world. And, uh, however, in terms of uh, superpower, we're, t- uh, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about the, the dominance in this, uh, all different area, not just economic, military, and also, uh, in ideological, uh, area. Um, so in my book, I have a very detailed analysis, and I, I, the reason I don't think so is uh, I don't. First of all, China doesn't seek to to take that role. They didn't want that role, and at this time, China are growing, you know, uh, very fast. However, there are all kinds of uh, social economic problem within China, and. Uh, uh, Chinese people know that, and the Chinese government, of course, know that. They are very much concerned. All the, uh, you know, um, uh, a lot of uh, uh, issues related to environment and, uh, uh, you know, healthcare system and education and the social stability and the population, aging population, etc. And uh, uh, so they are not, uh, you know, in this mindset to really um, taking on. Um, the, the global leadership role, and they actually honestly didn't want that role at this point. I think. Well, I, I, I think what you're saying, and this is when I when you read the Chinese dream, it makes so much sense. Is they have so much infrastructure because uh-huh. there's been so much change in the last hundred years. It was so much the same for five thousand years, and then in the last hundred years, you had the Communist Party. Then all of a sudden, now communism is still the governing body. But there's corruption and there's a little bit of democracy and then there's all of this, you know, rush of industrialization as well as there's huge pollution problems. Uh And now, as you said, with health care, it used to be the state took care of health care, but now there's no health care. So they have bigger issues with their own people, so they don't really need to dominate the world. I have a question that I hadn't known about this, this... I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, Helen. This uh-huh. H-U-K-O-U, the system where if you uh-huh. moved, if you're in the city, you get a certain amount of dollars, or I mean, not dollars, but uh, financial incentives or whatever it is, for yeah. schooling, et cetera. 
I didn't understand how this works. That seems so discriminatory to the people in the yeah. provinces and on the farms. Yeah, that's basically that's another thing because China's uh, you know more than uh, about a fi- at this time sixty percent population living in the rural area. A rural area is very underdeveloped in China, not like a you know in this country, and but. Uh, so also they have a, a lack of the um, access for education and other state, you know, uh, subsidized uh, benefit. So there are basically in Chinese society there's a dual citizenship. If you're urban, you are basically lucky. You're living in the urban areas. You you know you you're almost guaranteed to have you know a school and public school. And but in rural area. You know they have limited access to those benefit uh, state offer, and um, so that's why they have this hukou, basically house, household registration system, and uh, you they tie their social benefit to where they you you are born. If you are well, born in the I, when I was reading your book, you were talking about how in China they have the rule, you know, where you have one child. Uh-huh. But, of course, in Chinese culture, the male is still considered the more dominant. He carries on the name, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And you gave an example of a family that somehow through bribery or whatever, they were able to have a second child, but that second child did not have the advantage of huku. How can yeah. that be? Yeah, so that's the, another thing. It's like the Chinese government trying to uh, still control the population because, uh, you know, they consider the population is a big burden. And uh, so, uh, yeah, there's still one child policy. However, many new middle class, they can afford to pay whatever the, you know, the fine government uh, uh, has. So they want to have a second child, but a second child cannot go to the uh, uh the school, public school in the uh, so that's the where the, the the parents would have to pay for private. Now yeah, you didn't, I have to pay. You for didn't private. touch this in your book, but I just wondered since you were talking about the one child, is there still the problem in China? At least we hear about that here, especially in the provinces or in the rural areas, when a female child is born, that the child is terminated or given away or sold or whatever because people want boys. Yes, there is in the especially in the poor area, remote area, and there are still something like that. But in the uh, urban area, and like my sister, she only have one daughter, and she, they are fine. And urban area, uh, you know, people are very open minded. They 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 are fine. They don't necessarily want that boy. But in the rural area, yes, you know, this traditional mindset. Uh, you know, you need to have a son in your family is still strong. And the the idea of there are so many entrepreneurs now, and uh-huh. people wearing the designer clothes and buying very expensive things, because now that the economy has opened up, uh, businesses, people can own their own businesses now, so they are able to truly become a middle class. Yes, yes. Let's and, yeah. give people your website, Helen. This is a fascinating book for all of you who are interested in China, and we all need to be because it Uh, is a very big, growing nation with lots of opportunity and uh, also lots of tradition and history. mm -hmm. So I would love you to go to Helen's website, which is helenhwang.net, 
And the name of her book is The Chinese Dream, The Rise of the World's Largest Middle Class. That's HelenHWang.net. You can make sure to put that H in there. Or you can, of course, well, Google it. Actually, it's easier to, uh, website to remember. is TheHelenWang.com. TheHelenWang.com. Okay, yeah, that's the Helen good. TheHelenWang.com. So that's... you can go to my website. And uh, my book is also on Amazon. You can search The Chinese Dream on uh, Amazon. Then you yeah, can find I would my just book. put it in, the, your, in a search for The Chinese Dream. It's a fascinating book. It's very detailed, and it is, it's very easy to read and beautifully written, Helen. You did a wonderful job. And it, it has all the, uh, the annotations of, all her, uh, of where she got her sources, and she travels back and forth between East and West on a regular basis, so she truly is an ambassador for the world. Helen, thank you so much for bringing this book to our attention. I do think it is a book that everyone does need to read so that we can better understand one another because you're right, we're all from the same tree and we're just different branches. Uh-huh. Thank you so much, Cynthia, for having me. Helen, it's been a delight. Well, thank all of you for being here with us on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Go out into the day. Make it a great one. Have a happy St. Patrick's Day. Wear green. And until we celebrate next week, I am Cynthia Bryan from Star Style, thanking you and encouraging you. Be the star you are. We'll play together again next week. Bye for now. Be the star you are. The star you Thank you for being part of our star galaxy on today's episode of Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We hope you've enjoyed the commentary and are motivated to dream big, overcome obstacles, and realize your potential. For further information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. Join our power party next week right here on World Talk Radio as Cynthia Bryan, Heather Brittany, and the pioneers of the planet pump up the energy with positive, uplifting, life-changing radio. Until then... Be the star you are. You are the star. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.